Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's another state of the program edition, and it was a very newsy past month or so, and so we missed some of our, our big state of the programs when they came out. So I wanted to make sure we came back around on some of these before Media Day started, because there's some really interesting teams out there and and stories going into the season, and I think there are going to be some teams that that look very different this year. And I, I was talking to Phil Steele, yes, Phil Steele of the magazine the other day, and he said his bounce back team of the year is the Penn State Nittany Lions. And so I'm bringing on Audrey Snyder, our, our incredible Penn State beat writer, and we're talking about a team that had about as miserable a year as you could during the pandemic year. And they are back and they're expected to be the second best team in the Big Ten behind Ohio State. You know, I'm sure Wisconsin feels the same way, but at Penn State, the standard is pretty high. They didn't meet it last year. And Audrey, I, you and I were talking before we started recording about how weird last year was. And in your state of the program story, you talked to Brent Pry, the, the defensive coordinator. He said basically it was it's like the twilight zone walking into the stadium, but it feels like it was more than just the game day experience. Like what, how strange was last season for Penn State? It was, I think, I feel like to say it was bizarre might be an understatement. Um, even today, like I was scrolling through, I was on my phone looking at something and I came across a photo last year of the stadium and it's like, there's a game going on and there's no one in the stands except for like a smattering of parents. Um, the whole thing, I mean, even now, the farther removed we get from it, it just felt surreal. And I live in State College about 10 minutes away from the stadium. And so like, you're used to, you know, the town coming alive, the grocery stores packed, all the fans, the tailgating, all that. And like, it just never happened. And even for the students, you know, they were enrolled and in-person classes were offered, but a lot of their learning was done online. Like a lot of kids had maybe one class in person. Um, maybe some kids only had like two classes in person the whole year. So it was like really just this weird isolated thing. And I, I felt like, you know, going through it, you hear stories throughout the season and you're like, yeah, this is really bad. We're all living it. But I actually felt like this spring we got a better perspective on it because Sean Clifford had made the point where Parker Washington, you know, has this breakout freshman year last year. And Sean was like, yeah, I didn't really start throwing with Parker consistently, like until a couple weeks before the first game, because they were in different training groups because of COVID. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just stuff like that, that you get a better appreciation for it now, kind of with the benefit of hindsight. Well, and, and you think about, so the way 2020 was set up, essentially the, 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 they change offensive coordinators because Ricky Ronnie gets the old dominion head coaching yep. job. And then they hire Kirk Scirocco away from Minnesota. Minnesota's offense in 2019 was tremendous. I mean, Tanner Morgan was averaging over 10, 10 yards per attempt. They were awesome. And so the thought is, okay, well, this guy's going to come in and, and really liven things up on offense. And it, but then you get the pandemic happens, you know, Micah Parsons, no, no who, spring ball, no, no spring, spring ball. ball. You've got very limited summer workouts. Micah Parsons, their best player, opts out. Now, he's a defensive player, but still, the, your best player is gone. They do decide to play a season. You get close to the season. Right before you find out, Journey Brown has to medically retire. The, the first quarter of the first game, <laughs> yeah. Noah Kane gets hurt, and he's out for the season. I mean, it's just it was one thing after another. 
It was. And then, you know, you go on a couple more weeks and then Pat Fryermuth ends up with a, a labrum injury. So then he's done for the year. And it was like the walking wounded meets this like apocalyptic town. Um, and oh, yeah, James Franklin's family is living away from him the whole season. And, you know, that really wore on him as the season went, especially. I mean, it was any way you looked at last year, um, you know, and, and I know everybody says you don't want to use COVID as an excuse and whatnot. Um, but it greatly impacted the product on the field. And I don't know, Andy, I think you can make the argument that if the Michael Penix call goes the other way in Indiana, that maybe then Penn State, you know, you see 0-5, the worst start in program history. If they win that game, then you play Ohio State, still lose that. Then you're 1-1 instead of 0-2. Like, I do think there's a little bit um, uh, kind of how that played into it. I mean, because this team got steamrolled by Maryland last year. I mean, it was just a mess. Yeah. It, it's wild. And then you, you look and it feels like the light. Now, Michigan wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the, the medicine they needed kind of game. And then they play Rutgers and, and, and Michigan State and Illinois. But it did feel like they, they became more competent as the season went on. The less oh, yeah. disjointed. And I, and, and I saw, well, you saw that with a few teams last year. I think LSU was another example of that, of a talented team that just got better as the season went on, even as they lost people Mm -hmm. when you kind of figured out, okay, this is who we got. And that's, this is the best we can do Deal with it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and and maybe Penn state was in that boat too, but yes, uh, James Franklin, you know, the situation with his his family, it it was a health issue that Mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure that, you know, he was there and, and his wife and kids were, were elsewhere. So they were not exposed to a bunch of different people all the time. Yeah. And yet that has to wear on you. I mean, if you're used to having a family, if you if you're a single person, no, that that's normal. But if you're used to having your family around, like I can't imagine if my family moved seven states away for the next I, six months, I would be. Miserable. I don't know, Andy. Should should we ask them though their thoughts on that? They might they might think it's like the best seven months of their uh, life. They're they're kind of used to it. Back in my old job, <laughs> I was on the road like 150 days a year. So, I, I mean, they, they every once in a while throw a party when I went went on a road trip. So yeah, we'll yeah. we'll see. <laughs> when I, when I hit the road in earnest this fall, we'll we'll see how uh, how big the parties are when I leave. I was gonna say, I mean that even that whole thing, like I was covering games from my couch in state college, and like it was just the whole thing was bizarre. And I mean, even t- to this point, Andy, Big Ten Media Days, July like twenty third, I believe it is, the Penn State talks. Um, that'll be the first time we've spoken to James Franklin in person, face to face, since February of twenty twenty. I mean, it, it wow. was just bizarre. I mean, you're everything's behind a computer screen, and you're you're trying to follow up your questions, and you're muting or you're unmuting yourself, and it was a mess. Um, but I hope that's all behind us now. Uh, we made it through, and uh, Penn State Beaver Stadium. They are expected to be back at full capacity this year, which people were waiting on pins and needles for that announcement all summer. So that is out there. Um, so yeah, a huge step toward whatever this uh, this return to normalcy is going to be. Yeah, and, and a little bit different look. Uh, the, the Kirk Sharaka experiment only lasted the COVID year. Mm-hmm. He's gone now. Mike Yursich, the new offensive coordinator, Mike Yursich was, was very accomplished at Oklahoma State. He then worked at Ohio State. He was on the Tom Herman staff at Texas last year. They got fired. He brings in a, a different, different look, but you know, the idea is up-tempo, spread it out. Yeah, this is 
this is what they have the personnel to to run. It would mm-hmm. seem it seems it seem to be very good for them, especially uh, you know you look at what Oklahoma State would do. They always like to run the ball. You know, Ohio State like to run the ball. So Penn State with with its backs and and still a pretty good line should be able to move the ball on the ground and. I would think that makes life a little easier for Sean Clifford. Yeah, that's the big question mark. Um, What are you going to get from Sean Clifford? I mean, he, especially early on last year, he played as bad as we've ever seen him play. Um, I'm pretty sure he would say it was the worst, you know, football of his life. And that's the thing. I mean, how much of last year can you pin on the offense? And, okay, you're trying to install this Kirk Scirocco offense during this disjointed offseason. I'm sure there was part of that. Uh, but then there were also, I mean, the performance issues, it just wasn't there. I mean, he was turning the ball over like crazy and it just did not look like the same guy that we saw the year before, which admittedly feels like five years ago, um, who helped, you know, get them to that cotton bowl. And then that was kind of the moment where you said, oh man, Journey Brown is this breakout game. Micah Parsons looks unstoppable. And then now that feels like an eternity ago. But yeah, I mean, Sean Clifford's rebound is going to be fascinating and I spoke with Mike Yersich for our State of the Program series, and, you know, all spring, Mike did not want to talk about any players by name because he wanted to actually see them in person first and get the work with them through spring ball. But as they came out of that, I asked him point blank, I said, how confident are you in Sean Clifford running your offense? And he said that, you know, Sean intellectually, I mean, he's picked up everything and he's picked it up really fast and he's really pleased, but he just said, you know, it kind of comes back to the mechanics and making sure that everything is kind of fine tuned because yeah, they're not really easing into this season at all, Andy, with week one at Camp Randall, full capacity expected. Yeah. yeah and they get Auburn as a non-conference opponent coming to state mm-hmm. college. I mean, and we and don't Ball know state what Auburn's in between. Be- yeah. Ball state right. week two. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. It's it, it's going to be interesting because like we don't know what Auburn's going to be, mm-hmm. but we do know they're talented because yeah. Brian Harson is their is their new coach and uh, they've not shown anything. So it, it, there's no question other than we know that Bo Nix uh, is advertising a, a brand of sweet tea that is available in convenience stores across Alabama. So yeah, that's 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 what we got. We'll be right back after these words. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Speaking of quarterbacks in the SEC, Will Levis, likely the starting quarterback at Kentucky, he came in for Sean Clifford several times last year. There's now very little experience behind Clifford if, mm-hmm. if that part of it doesn't work. So it's got to it's got to be a young guy if something bad happens. Yeah, I mean, right now you're banking on Taquan Roberson or Christian Veyu, and Veyu just got here in January, so I really don't think right now that's a, you know a viable option. I mean, they're going to say it's a camp competition, and you'd expect that Roberson would kind of have the upper hand there. But all off season, I mean, going back to gosh, probably. December even, maybe even before the end of last year, 
James Franklin kept talking about wanting to add a quarterback through the transfer portal, that they wanted to get somebody, they needed to get somebody for depth. Well, instead, you lost Will Levis, you know, and then you lost Micah Bowens to Oklahoma, which was really a fascinating one to me because he was, you know, the number three quarterback here, but sees an opportunity at Oklahoma. Hey, go for it. Um, but yeah, so you lost two scholarship quarterbacks. You're bringing a true freshman in VU, but you haven't been able to add throughout this crazy offseason. I mean, they've added plenty of other guys through the portal, but they haven't been able to get an arm. So going into camp, Andy, with three scholarship quarterbacks, and oh yeah, by the way, um, Roberson didn't even get game reps last year, so you've really got Clifford and that's it. And I think where this could be a factor is we saw it two years ago. By the end of the season, Sean Clifford likes to run. They like when he runs. But you don't like the hits that come with that and the wear and tear. And he was really wore down uh, toward the end of that Cotton Bowl season. And then Levis made a spot start against Rutgers that year. And Sean then was a full go for the Cotton Bowl game, had that month of bowl prep the rest up. But yeah, to me, that is a major concern because not only how does this offense perform, how does your quarterback bounce back? But also, oh yeah, what do you have behind your quarterback? Because that's, uh, that's, that's an area that they have not been able to fill. Yeah, and, and that's a, a problem pretty much everywhere where you, you just you don't know with these quarterbacks that move around, transfer to all these different places, you get left with no experience whatsoever. Yep. And it's not unique to Penn State. I mean, right. Ohio State doesn't have a quarterback who has thrown a pass in a game yet. Mm-hmm. Now they, They've got yeah. guys that were highly recruited that they recruited, but they don't know what they've got yet because they haven't seen them it's throw a pass in a game yet. So yeah. it, everybody's kind of in this boat. Penn State has experience there. It's just, you're right. I, I would get nervous, especially given what they have to play at the beginning of the season every time Sean Clifford tucks it and runs. I mean, I, I know they also, I mean, they, they try to, they think they have a lot or they have enough in their room, at least for the time being. But I, one of the things I thought could have been interesting this summer, uh, they had a quarterback from Iowa Western uh, Community College. He was on campus for a workout. They didn't offer, um, but he was a qualifier coming out. So he could have, you know, given you another arm for camp. Uh, so maybe that's somebody they kind of track throughout this next year, but yeah, I mean, everybody wants a quarterback, and I know the fan base has been clamoring for another one, not not just one for depth, but one to compete with Clifford. And it's like, hey, you know, starting quarterbacks aren't just hanging around out there. Um, occasionally they are, but, you know, it, it's hard to try and just pluck somebody out of there and then bring them in and run your system. Well, and think about how many, how many Power 5 teams got the guy they think is going to start out of the portal this year. Uh, Kentucky yep. did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one guy, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and Notre Dame got Jack Cohn from Wisconsin, which mm-hmm. was a, a yes. you know best for big. both party situation because of Graham Mertz. But it's not a a huge thing. Maybe Tyler Shook starts at Texas Tech after leaving Oregon, but it, it, it's not. There just weren't a ton of guys on the market who were willing who would be willing to come in and be a backup. You know, they want to come in and, and yeah. compete for a starting job. Sean Clifford's a starter, so that put them in the position where they were not going to have their pick of QBs out of the transfer portal. Yeah, and I think the Levis thing is fascinating too because everybody wants to watch and see how that goes. I mean, his usage here last year was just so 
bizarre. I mean, he did, they benched Sean Clifford midway through the year. Levis got the start. He then struggled, so they pulled him and put Clifford back in during the game, and then Clifford kept the job from there on out. But the way that they were using Levis, it was, I kept calling it like the battering ram package because it'd be third yeah. down, they'd put him in, he'd run the, I mean, it was it was effective. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy that we kept hearing about his big arm and all this stuff. And there was like this crazy streak throughout the season. I forget what I actually stopped tracking it at, but I think it hit like 30 or 32 where he'd play 32 snaps, come into the game and hadn't attempted a pass. And it was like, okay, so is this your quarterback well, or what are you doing with him? It, it, and it's interesting because that he'd fit right into last year's Kentucky offense. That's not really yeah, what Kentucky's going to do yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah, he'd be perfect for for last year's Kentucky offense too. But between Dotson and Washington, with some targets there, and and it feels like a pretty deep backfield. Clifford should have some help this yes. year. At least it seems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think. Jahan Dotson um, is going to push Chris Olave as the best receiver in the Big Ten. I mean, I really think because last year went so poorly for Penn State, I do think some of that overshadowed how good Dotson was. Um, I mean, Parker Washington also coming on last year as a true freshman, making that jump to a position where they desperately needed someone to step up. Uh, that was really impressive, too. So, yeah, you, you've got two really talented receivers and You'd have to figure that Keandre Lambert-Smith uh, would also factor in there. I mean, he was a true freshman last year, got on the field. But you have those guys, and I think, Andy, one of the, the silver linings to has, as bad as last year got, the one area where it does help them now, at least moving forward, um, Pat Fryermuth gets hurt. So you saw a lot of tight ends, Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, and these are guys that looked pretty good last year when they did get in. I mean, we saw a lot of two tight end packages and stuff like that. Uh, Theo Johnson, when they signed him, was one of the headliners in their class a couple cycles ago. So they've got playmakers there, um, but it's just you'd like to see a little more depth in the receiving core. Now, the running back spot, you know, you get Noah Kane back healthy. Um, at least looks like that's what they're trending toward. I mean, he did some work in the spring, and we've seen training videos of him this summer and stuff. Looks fine. Uh, in fact, his his upper body, Andy, one of the training videos that was out there, um, it looked to me like he was kind of built like uh, the Incredible Hulk. Like his arms were massive and his chest. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, you, you know, you've got Noah Kane, You've got Devin Ford. Um, and then, you know, you have Kevon Lee who gets – thrust off up the depth chart last year. I mean, Kevon Lee and Keziah Holmes were guys that they didn't expect to play last year. And then you get to the point where they're starting. You know, I believe it was against Michigan yeah. where Kevon Lee has this big game and you're like, where the heck did this come from? You know, it was crazy. And it's basically somebody, somebody had to play it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, they needed somebody. And it's like, here, Kevon, like best of luck. And I remember I did a story on it uh, a week or so after that game and I talked with his mom and she was like, yeah, like I'm back at home in Florida watching the game. And I'm like, oh my God, my son's starting, you know, but like, that's just how quickly the depth in that room dwindled last year. But now, you know, you're on the other side of that. And I think if you're Penn State, you're banking on the experience that these younger players gained last year. Yeah. And that's the, that's the beauty of this. I, I almost wonder if we've forgotten and, and I don't know how opponent if, if it's going to be the same with opponents because you know they're going to play Wisconsin 
everybody's going to get a good look at them. They're not going to be able to hide anything. They'll have to be yeah. exactly what yeah. they are against Wisconsin. But have they forgotten? Do, do they not know what what this is supposed to look like? Because it's it's really been a while since we've seen probably what James Franklin intended his team to look like. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to go back to the Cotton Bowl because I think last year, I mean, all of we kept hearing with the Sharaka offense that, you know, it was going to do this, it was going to do that, and it, it did none of that. And I kept wondering throughout the year, well, how much of this is actually Sharaka's offense? You know, like, where are we at with this? And, and maybe it's not. They had no yeah. no time to put it in, no way to put it in. I mean, I, I just think, like, the, the time element, and, and I know Penn State brought this up too, but... Had they known when the Big Ten canceled the season there in August, like had they known that they were actually going to play, they would have kept the kids on campus. Instead, they sent the players home and said like, hey, we've got like a week and a half, two weeks before the semester. Go home, spend time with your families. Like we'll deal with whatever when we come back. But yeah, so like they lost all of that time too. Uh, So yeah, I mean, I just think you say, okay, now – it looks like you're in a much better place, right? Like you had spring ball, um, you had Yursich. I know the one thing that the players have raved about with Mike Yursich is his energy that he came yeah. in and it was almost kind of like this cultural shift. I mean, from, and again, we had very limited interactions with Kirk Shiraka. I think we only talked to him once in person and then everything else was on zoom. Um, you know, he, he was very fiery by players accounts, but Yursich, like apparently there's just no off switch with with the guy that it's just constant juice and like even talking to prospects on official visits and stuff uh, throughout the month of June that was the one thing they kept saying as well so I mean this is the other part of this Mike Yursich was the guy who James Franklin wanted um, when they hired Kirk Shiraka instead I mean and that's you know an interesting thing to look at too and you can say okay why didn't that happen um you know, did Ohio Texas State offered him factor? a lot of money. Yeah. Yes. I mean, <laughs> was was Texas a factor? Was it Ohio State being a factor? In it? I mean, you know, you have all these options, but this time around, I believe, Andy, and I could be completely wrong, but I believe if Yursich was not available this offseason, I think they would have rolled with Kirk Shiraka again and actually mm. put this offense in and see how it goes, just because I think last year was was such a mess. But hey, the guy that you really, really wanted came available. You got him this time around. Uh, I think that has to have people energized. I, I would think so. Let, let's talk a little bit about the defense, because mm-hmm. uh, everybody saw Jason Owe in, in the draft, and he was a, a massive prospect. And But there was the, oh, he didn't have any sacks, and, all of it, and Shaka yeah. Tony uh, gone as well. But I mean, like if you watch the Indiana game, they were in Michael Penix's lap every play. It wasn't like yeah. they had a bad pass rush. But those guys are gone. It seems though like they have quite a bit of depth behind them. Yeah. So they went out into the transfer portal, and while they didn't get that quarterback, um, they got Arnold Ebikade, a defensive end from Temple, who has a chance to start. I mean, he's definitely going to play a factor this year. I mean, I think you're probably looking at right now, um, I would say that your starting defensive ends are probably going to be Adisa Isaac and Nick Tarberton. But Arnold Ebikade will push for playing time for sure, will push for a starting job. And that's big because this is a room that lost so much experience. I mean, Shaka Tony was that guy in the meeting room who could tell the younger players like, hey, this is how it works. Here's how it goes. Because uh, he had been here for so long, but you lost that game experience, but you also kind of lost that veteran presence. So you go out, um, you add Abikade, who's going to certainly be able to help you. But I think Adisa Isaac is somebody who 
could have a chance to maybe surprise people more so on like a national perspective if things kind of go according to plan. I mean, he was a big-time prospect. He's looked the part. I mean, I remember when Itor Gross Matos was here talking with Itor mm-hmm. about um, – about him at that point, and everybody just kept saying, like, yeah, Adisa Isaac, like, this guy's going to be the next big thing to come off of this defensive line. Uh, so I guess now we're going to have to see, Andy, whether or not they were right. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Yeah, and that's the thing. If they can get a good pass rush, I, I, I feel like this is a team, I don't know, you know, I don't want to say what they can do against Ohio state, mm-hmm. because it's, it's so hard when you look at the talent gap between Ohio right. state and the rest of the big 10. But the thing is, we don't know what Ohio state's going to look like offensively. The, the, we, we know that Ryan day runs a really good offense, but we've not seen any of their quarterbacks play yet. But I, I do feel like if Penn state can kind of outperform its talent level and there's a slight, even a slight dip with Ohio state, then Penn state does have, have a, shot. a chance. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. think, Andy, that to me is always the thing, right? Like, when, when you, I always look at, okay, Penn State, you know, their path to the playoff, right? In the last few years, you say, okay, well, you got to get past Ohio State. And, and my point throughout, throughout all that kept being, I think your best shot is to hope that Ohio State, you catch them in one of these transition years, one of these kind of turnover mm-hmm. years. And if you're Penn State, if you're clicking at the right time, then you might, that might be your path in, right? Like, that might be your once every four or five years if you're, Roland, that you have that shot to, to do that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Penn State has matched up very well with Ohio State, which is one of those things that I remember James Franklin saying a couple years ago, you know, some teams almost for inexplicable reasons, they just match up really well against one another. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what, what these two teams have been. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you get a shot this year against the Buckeyes, but of course it is out in Columbus this year. That's another thing that Penn State lost last year because you say this was supposed to be your stacked roster Going against yeah, Ohio that's your State, game. yep, yeah. in Beaver Stadium, and you had none of that. So who's who's the whiteout this year? Is it is it Michigan? They have not announced it yet. However, um, Indiana could Indiana no, be no, the no, whiteout no, no, opponent? No. Ever, no, I don't think so. Um, based off of my conversations with multiple recruits, they've said that they've been told again. This is what they're saying that it's going to be against Auburn. Which okay, I, that, like. That makes sense. I like. That's that. a good. Yeah. That's a good spot for that. Yeah, I, I think that, and we do know that the Auburn game's a seven thirty kick. So while Penn State has not confirmed the whiteout yet, um, I think that would make a lot of sense, right? Showcase it to an SEC yeah. crowd. Um, yep. Now, I do wonder, Andy, and maybe because of everything last year that they lost, would they try two whiteouts this year? I don't know. Ooh, right? Why like, not? I mean, Go crazy. I, I feel like everybody should do whatever the heck they want this year because it, endorse sweet tea, how, have two whiteouts, do whatever you want. Exactly. Exactly. Go crazy. They, yeah. We sat around on our couches for an entire year. Like, let's. If somebody wants to, to go all white, one more, all white everything, mm-hmm. one more time. Why not? You know, do it against Auburn, which I think you make a great point. It's it you show that off to a different audience, yeah. and uh, that that game is probably going to deliver a big number because those are two great oh, brands, yeah. good intersectional game. So, absolutely do that. But then, yeah, pick a Big Ten game, whether that's Indiana or Michigan, especially if it's going to be a night game. And sure, why not have fun with it? This is supposed to be fun. 
<laughs> you know, and they've, because they've been asked before about uh, the possibility of, of doing two whiteouts, and they always went back to, well, you know, we don't want it to lose kind of its its allure, its luster if we do it more than once. So we've seen them do like the stripe out before, but mm-hmm. it's, I like it's that. which is pretty cool, um, but it's it's not the same. I mean, the atmosphere for those whiteout games, have, have you ever been to one, Andy? Have you ever? I have. I was yeah. at the Michigan game in 17. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just different. Like the place just goes absolutely crazy. And from a kind of coming out of COVID perspective, home football games do wonders for this local economy here, Andy, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, why not have two whiteouts and I mean, yeah. give these businesses another chance to try and make up for all that was lost last year. Um, I think that's why I, I, I think, live in you know, a, a very it. similar mm-hmm. town. So it, it's the same thing where everybody's just hoping that it's going to be a nice normal football season and, and the home games are going to be fun and people are going to want to go and, and want to spend the same kind of money they used to spend. Yeah. So yeah, why not? Why not juice it up a little bit? Because you did lose an entire year of, and especially in, in the big 10, you, you lost an entire year of this. Like I live in an sec town where they at least could have some fans in the stands though. Yeah. I, you know, nobody was really traveling to those games. It was basically people who lived, lived in town would go to the games. Yeah. But I just, it, when you have a situation where you're expecting, I mean, those seven Saturdays a year make or break a lot of the businesses in town, by all means do whatever you can to help them out. And because I, I don't I, I realize the whiteout is special. It's a special concept and it's supposed to be one special game a year, but the rules are are different now. You know, you yeah. can back to the nor- go back to the normal rules in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think just it was it was so crazy. And one of one of the scenes that I will always remember of last year will have absolutely nothing to do with the football that was on the field, but just the fact that the day that Penn State was supposed to open the season that it was canceled. Um, I just drove over to the stadium because I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I've lived here for like 10 years. Like I I think I kind of know this fan base well enough to know that people are probably going to show up and try to tailgate and like try to do something. Uh, and a handful of people did. And to me, that was just like really kind of crazy. Like they went and picked up food at all the places that they normally have for their tailgates and went and sat outside this empty stadium in central Pennsylvania because this is what they're used to doing. Um, you know, so for all these people, which I think also is another reason why you get that Auburn whiteout in there if you can early, um, get it in there in September. People have waited more than long enough to get back in the stadium, but also back to a whiteout. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the scenes like that last year, I mean, it was just absolutely surreal and you're like hey yeah you should be playing a football game right now but instead we're sitting in an empty parking lot like it was bizarre well and and that's what makes me so excited like you and Mm -hmm. i are talking about football we're talking about games penn state is playing wisconsin not very long from now september 4th yeah i mean penn state is by the time this podcast runs we're less than a month away or sorry, less than two months away from Penn State at Wisconsin. National television, big noon Saturday, Fox pregame show leading into, I mean, how awesome is that? There's going to be people in the stands. They're going to jump around. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) I mean, and that's also, I think, part of the the unique factor, too, with that game is Penn State has not been out there, gosh, I want to say it was like since 2012, Uh, So this is a place that, you know, even fans from here, I think 
if they have the opportunity to travel to a game this year, I think this is one that they would say, hey, you know what, go out for that one because they haven't been there. Um, the other game, I think, Andy, that is always a fun one that I now as a road trip really look forward to, the games at Iowa. So October, oh, yeah. I believe it's like 8th, 9th, whatever that Saturday is. Um, I think it's the 9th. They're out at Kinnick Stadium. And I don't know, I feel like every Penn State-Iowa game has become a night night game these days. Um, yeah. And if I'm not driving right from Kinnick Stadium to the Cedar Rapids Airport, feeling like my eyes are going to fall out of my head, the game didn't really happen. So um, <laughs> that's, you know, that's kind of been, been one of those things, too, that I think people will uh, will look forward to and certainly there, try to travel to. There's no let up in the schedule, by the way, and, mm-hmm. until you get to the very end, really. And that that's the hardest part. It's rough, and, yeah. and if Michigan State happens to be better, mm-hmm. then there really is no let up. It's it's tough. I mean, we talked about the beginning of it where you go at Auburn ball or sorry, at Wisconsin ball state and then Auburn. They get Villanova, but then it's Indiana and Iowa in consecutive weeks. And I mean, yeah. knowing what we know about Indiana the last few years, that's a that's a tough stretch. And then obviously there's Ohio State. We'll see what Michigan is. We don't know. But really, they, they got to hope that Michigan is what they were again last year so that that end of the season, at least stretch is is a little bit of a reprieve because the first two thirds are brutal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a rough schedule. And I think that's where it's kind of almost difficult to, to gauge this team in some regards, because you could look at it and say they might go eight and four. You know, and they could look a heck of a lot better offensively. Um, but you would say, okay, what does that mean for a team that, you know, James Franklin, in, in a lot of ways, has kind of spoiled people because they've gotten so good so quickly. Um, but then you kind of say, well, okay, what happens if they're like an eight-win team, right? Or if they're a nine-win team? Yeah. Like, what, what does that mean in the grand context of this? Um but then you could say, well, hey, they were they were zero and five at one point last year and looked awful. Yeah. So it's to me, it's just tough to gauge. But yeah, I mean, the fact that you brought it up earlier, which I think was a really good point, um, you can't stash away, hide away what you want to do early on this season. I mean, you're coming out at Camp no. Randall with everything that you have, and that's who you're going to be. And we're gonna find out. In less than two months, there's going to be college football on our TVs and in stadiums that we can go to. Man, smell those tailgate lots already, Andy. I have so many places you need to hit in Madison, but yeah. you know, just just make sure you drink some spotted cow. That's well, that's, that's all that really matters. That's I'm actually heading out there on a Thursday instead of a Friday, so I'll have plenty of time for all of your recommendations. Oh, it's going to be so much fun, Audrey. Thank you so much. You can't got it. wait. We're, we're, we're media days right around the corner. So this is this is great. I am so excited. Football is on its way. We'll talk to you on Monday.